Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to better understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. Yeah, and you can find or follow us on social media. We have Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, which are all at from Skirts to Scrubs. And we also have Twitter, X, whatever, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can also check out our website more information on episodes, show notes, sources, and more at transgressorscrubs.com. Yep. And you can also subscribe to our podcast. We're on basically all the podcasting apps and you can leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is the best place for that, but feel free to give us a five-star rating wherever you can. Yeah. And welcome back to our full-length episode. So if you're new here, we just finished our latest mini-series called More Than a Uterus. We had a great time exploring all these like non-OBGYN conditions that different like females face. But since Alicia and I are both future OBGYNs, we are super excited to get back to our favorite topics in this realm. So to get back into the swing of things, we want to start off with something fun, interesting, and relevant to today, which is the placenta. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about what exactly this mysterious organ is some anthropological concepts about it, and then placental trends of today. So before we get into it, Alicia, any ideas, thoughts, trends, you know, of whatever is floating around in your head? Okay. So I like don't know anything about the history of the placenta and I'm like fascinated to like learn more about what people used to do with their placentas. The two trends that I know about, one is that people, some people will like either want to keep their placenta for multiple reasons. So like one of them is that like they might want to like eat their placenta, which I know is a thing. Um, Like people will make it into like little capsules. You can like send it off to a company that like makes it into these capsules and then you can eat the placenta and it's supposed to like add nutrients to like your body and like help you recover faster postpartum. And it can help nourish your breast milk, give your breastfeeding. So that's one thing. I know someone who wanted their placenta because this was very cute. She was like, some people plant their placentas. And I was like, that's so cute. Take your placenta. Mm-hmm. And then I've also heard of lotus births, which I think I might have been the first person to tell you about lotus births. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. But you might have. I, yeah. I feel like I did because I saw this like crazy birth and then it ended up being like a lotus birth. And I was like, what even is that? But maybe <laughs> we talk about it later. So maybe I won't spoil it right now. Yeah. Well you're on the right track for that. So um let's get started then. Let's do it. What even is the placenta <laughs> to get started? Well it's this super unique special organ that is basically created by the fertilized egg during pregnancy. So the placenta actually starts to develop on day five of your newly fertilized egg becoming a baby so that you can have a placenta basically before we even know you're pregnant, probably. Little baby placenta with your Mm. little tiny fetus. But what even is this thing? So it's an organ that develops inside of the uterus during pregnancy. On one side is attached to the uterus. On the other side is the umbilical cord, which is attached to the baby. The placenta acts as this medium between the baby and the mom to transport things like oxygen and nutrients, while also being a barrier to substances from mom to baby. So in a way, the placenta is like kind of the baby's pseudo lungs, 
Because when a baby's inside mom, the lungs aren't developed yet. And if you baby is breathing, they're breathing in amniotic fluid, not air with oxygen in it. So the placenta is instead these like pseudo lungs for the baby. And it's able to exchange oxygen from maternal blood to baby blood. So much like your normal lungs would do when taking oxygen from the air and putting it into your own blood. So that's kind of like baseline what the placenta does. And this occurs through the maternal blood and the fetal blood coming super close together, but they never actually mix within the placenta, which I thought was crazy the first time I learned about the placenta. I thought it was just like the organ with all the blood just meshes together, but really it's constructed in a way where the maternal arteries are very dilated and there's a bunch of them and they come really close, paper thin, close in caverns, close to the fetal blood. And then when they're pooling and really close to each other, but not actually touching, is when the it's like nutrients move back and forth between mom and baby. And an interesting fact mm. is that 70% of the blood that goes towards the uterus filters through the placenta in pregnancy. So it's like a lot of the blood that's being put into wow. the uterus is actually going to placenta so that it can help baby. But the placenta is not just there to transfer blood. It also does its own thing as its own, like, endocrine organ basically meaning it secretes hormones and a lot of them and i don't want to get into the weeds too much because there's a lot of different hormones and they get really technical and honestly not that fun but we'll talk about some important ones so two important ones hcg is secreted to maintain the corpus luteum in early pregnancy and the corpus luteum is this thing mm -hmm. that exists early part of pregnancy and it secretes your progesterone up until about like 10 weeks of pregnancy. And then it goes away and then the placenta actually mm -hmm. takes over and secretes progesterone as well. HCG is super important because it makes sure that progesterone is being secreted and you need progesterone for your pregnancy to be viable and continue. So if something happens to your corpus luteum in early pregnancy, then you could lose the pregnancy. So people who like for whatever reason, lose their corpus luteum, mm. they have to have um, like supplementation of progesterone. So after 10 weeks, the placenta takes over and it produces progesterone. So that's cool. The placenta also secretes mm. estrogen. So progesterone and estrogen kind of go together hand in hand. What's cool is that the fetal adrenal glands actually secrete like a steroid that goes into the placenta. And then the aromatase enzyme, which is the enzyme that makes estrogen, it's in the placenta. It converts that steroid the fetus makes into estrogen. So coming all from the placenta to help mm. the pregnancy come along. And then another cool hormone I wanted to mention is leptin, which not sure if anyone would know what that was off the top of their head, but leptin is a hormone that's normally secreted, but not from the placenta, from a different organ inside your body. And this helps to suppress appetite, actually. But the placenta secretes it later in your pregnancy because at that point, you don't need to eat quite as much anymore to help baby grow. All that eating where moms have like really heavy cravings is more at the beginning of pregnancy when baby needs tons of nutrients mm -hmm. to grow. Um, but in the later side of pregnancy, you don't need as much. Mom doesn't need to gain as much weight. More weight on mom could actually result in bad effects for baby. So the leptin is secreted from the placenta. So those are some cool Very endocrine cool. functions of this weird organ. In addition to that, 
The placenta also functions to store and create glycogen and cholesterol, and it also is an immune mediator. And the craziest part is that after nine months of hard work, the placenta is delivered right after the baby because it has no longer any use after the baby is born. So you have baby, and then the placenta has to be delivered, which can be a whole thing, but it comes out. And then after that, yeah, your placenta is yeah. done. <laughs> and then if you have another baby, a whole new one's made. So it's this, it's this temporary organ that's extremely essential to pregnancy. And we're not going to talk about placental illnesses or diseases in this episode because I thought it could be talked about at a later time. But basically, if you have something wrong with your placenta, it's bad news for you and your baby. So that's just a little physiology about what the placenta is. Alicia, do you have any questions at this point? Do you feel like you have anything to add I didn't talk about? The only thing was just like a fun, interesting thing that I learned about. Like you mentioned this, that it's made by baby, but like it is kind of as like a war back and forth Mm. between like mom and baby. Like obviously the placenta is like necessary for a like a baby to exist, but fetal cells like basically are like little leeches and they like come up, attack the maternal Mm. side. And so there is this nine month battle basically between like the fetal and maternal side that normally just like ends up in being like a normal placenta. But that's what leads to like some of these diseases is that like the fetal side is too strong and then it ends up like encroaching on the maternal side too much and can cause a lot of problems for the mom. So I just thought like that was like an interesting way to talk about the placenta is that, yeah, it's like this temporary organ that is like super cool, but it also is basically made of all fetal cells. And so it is like a little leech and it's... It's the mom's body like always has to keep it at bay because if it doesn't, it will like overtake the mom's side. All right, cool. So let's get into a little bit more things you probably don't know. Um, One being the evolutionary biology of the placenta and other animal species. It's a little bit out of the spectrum of what we usually talk about, but I thought it was cool. So Alicia, do you know what types of animals have placentas? Mammals? Yeah, mammals have placentas vertebrates mostly so if you're like non-vertebrate you definitely don't have placenta and then more specifically mammals have placentas so i was reading a little bit i was reading like this article kind of that walked through the different parts of the animal kingdom specifically vertebrates looking at placentas and so i just have some interesting tidbits there's evidence of there being placentas in stingrays in some certain types of sharks kind of cool there's also been a species of fish called the Poclipus fish. I don't know, some scientific word. That these fish have placenta like structures in their eggs. Little placentas. That is weird. weird. I don't like that. Within the amphibian family, some frogs develop something that resembles a placenta. So basically, frogs develop in a bunch of different places. They can develop in the father's mouth, they can develop in the mom's abdomen or on the pouch on the mom's back. And when they're in on the back in said pouch, the pouch becomes super vascularized. And then the feet, the baby little frogs, gills get really close to the blood. And then in that way, it's like a pseudo placenta because there's like the gas exchange right there. So it's like a little tiny placenta. Literally, what even? Why are animals so weird? Like, 
That is so weird. Very wild. Okay. So basically this article was like, if you boil down the placenta to being like the approximation of the blood and the nutrients like passing through it, like that qualifies as a placenta. But when it comes to mammals, pretty much all mammals have placentas, except for what do you think, Alicia? What animal, what mammals would not have placentas? Marsupials? No, actually. Think super out of the box. Think like if there was a certain mammal that was a spy. (laughs) Okay. That's the only spy animal I know of. The platypus. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense because they lay eggs. That's weird. Exactly. So, eggs, yeah. Um, platypi don't have placentas, and neither do echidnas. I don't know. It's also a mammal that lays eggs. So basically, if you lay eggs, you probably don't have a placenta. Okay. But yeah, even marsupials have placentas. Basically, there is a placenta in the womb inside of the animal. But the baby is born extremely underdeveloped. Like when a baby kangaroo is actually born, it is like super tiny, like a couple inches long. So that placenta like doesn't last very long, basically. The placenta like reabsorbs into the body apparently and then it's of no use because the baby barely forms in the womb. At least for kangaroos, can't speak to all marsupials here. The baby kangaroo is super undeveloped. It climbs out it like births itself out of the birth canal and then it climbs up the mom's fur and cl- like climbs into the pouch and then in the pouch it grows oh my yeah, god so if what? it, that if it is falls so on its like climb into the pouch it dies and then the pregnancy like doesn't result in anything oh no oh, oh my god actually so crazy i so that's, that's all the biology I have about placentas, to be honest. Um, so I would like to talk now about how humans have interacted with placentas and like how the placenta has taken its own role in life, in humans' life for like much of history. I kind of have a hodgepodge of historical findings concerning the placenta. Um, so I'm going to start off with like some specific philosophers and then I'm going to talk more broadly about different cultures. Sound good. So, sorry with yeah. philosophers. Um, two guys, Empedocles, I am slaughtering names today, and Democritus were both pre-Cratic philosophers that believed that the fetus feeds and breathes, not entirely wrong, but breathes by sucking nutrients in the vital spirit, whatever that may be, through the placenta. <laughs> But what they called it were uterine paps within the placenta. Don't know what that means either. And this was also the the theory held by Hippocrates. So they kind of thought the baby like directly Mm. sucked on the placenta, it sounds like. And that's how it got nutrients from it. That's how they thought it worked. Mm. Aristotle, on the other hand, he observed that how like chicks in the egg. Aristotle looked at an egg and postulated that the fetus cannot directly feed from the placenta in these said uterine paps because there's like membranes that make up the placenta and they surround the blood supply. So how would the baby like suck on it? That was his thoughts. He also correctly yeah. guessed that okay. the placenta had nutritional function for the baby. So he was right about mm. There's more to do with how they discovered how the placenta works, but honestly, I didn't think that was all that relevant or super interesting for this episode because there's more interesting things to talk about which we're going to get into right now which is 
different cultures and beliefs around the placenta. So this is in literally no particular order. It is not chronological. It is not in historical order. It is just a list of different cultures from various parts in world history and their thoughts on the placenta. Okay. Okay. Starting with New Guinea. It is tradition to place your placenta with its umbilical cord high up in a tree because they believed if you buried your placenta, that a pig would come and eat it and the pig would then become a thief within your garden. Another tribe, on, like also on New Guinea, believed that the umbilical cord had the power of good and the placenta was the power of evil. Icelandic cultures believed that the placenta is part of the child's soul and it will only come out if you treat it nicely. Oh, which yeah, is kind of true. Sure. You can't be ripping at the placenta. Yeah. Don't tug it, on it. Let it yeah. come out slowly. <laughs> this one's awesome. So in Egypt, I should have started with Egypt because we always start with Egypt. But in Egypt. Okay. Is it ancient yes. Egypt or yes, like ancient just, Egypt? Yeah. Thank you for okay. the clarification. Um, they okay. thought placenta was like the twin or the protector of the child, which kind of makes sense. Like, why was there why are there two mm. things born? But only one is alive, you know, because you have to bird the placenta still. So I see their thought process. Um, in Egypt, they thought the placenta, like I said, was the twin or protector of the child. So it was treated with the utmost respect. So something really interesting, and this is why I know it's ancient, because they talk about the pharaohs. So they would actually keep the mm. placenta of the pharaoh, like, in a special container, which I imagine is much like the organ containers during, yeah, like from All m- their mummification. Organs, yeah. So they keep the placenta in the container. And then there was one like hieroglyphics that showed them carrying the placenta into battle with the pharaoh as a form of like protection. Yeah, because it's supposed to be the protector of the child. Whether they actually did this versus like it just being, you know, paintings, unsure. But I thought that was really cool. Also, apparently, there was a specific office like within the pharaoh's cabinet or whatever, that translates to the opener of the king's placenta. It was a whole job. And basically when the pharaoh's reign was over, the container the placenta would in would be ceremoniously opened. Or maybe the placenta would be opened. Unsure on that part. What's interesting is that like there would be an entire ceremony around the placenta, which shows like how significant it was viewed in the society. You look super confused, Alicia. I am so confused. Uh-huh. I have so many questions. Like the placenta was sitting in a jar mm-hmm. for like 80 years. You think they lived to 80 got... in ancient Egypt? You're right. like 25. Then, okay, <laughs> 25 years. You're mm-hmm. right. You're right. 25 years. That's still a long time. That placenta is probably like mush by now. Who is opening it? The Was it opening the container? The dude the dude who is in the office it's his whole job he's wasting his whole role his whole term for this but But wait so they didn't open the placenta they opened the container sounds like they opened the container and not the actual placenta oh okay i was like there's nothing in there so that's also like like, mush in there come on the egyptians were like really good at mummification like there are still things that are i know but the placenta is like flesh like no one's brain is like still present like their bones and stuff are there and like i mean but some of this yeah it seems like leathery and still kind of there but yeah i guess moving on in new zealand 
placenta and land both had the same name called Wanua. And so the placenta was huh. traditionally placed in either hollowed out gourds, pots, baskets, or they would bury it somewhere special. And usually um, the intention was to return the placenta to earth. Mm. In Turkey, the parents of the newborn child would bury the baby's placenta in a location related to like they wanted their child to be when they grew up kind of idea. So if they wanted their child to be religious, mm. they would bury the placenta in the courtyard of the mosque. If they wanted the child to be really good with animals, they would bury it in the stable. So like mm. bury it where you want to go, kind of what you want your child to grow into kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Similarly, in Malaysia, parents would bury the placenta in the doorway of the home with books and pencils so that the child would grow up to be a hard worker and a good student. Yeah. Noise. But in Ukraine, it was actually taboo to bury your placenta in the doorway because if someone stepped over it, they thought it would um, cause the mother to become infertile. Interesting. In Bali, in Indonesia... The native tradition is to enclose the placenta within a coconut shell and then hang it from a tree. And you can actually go and see these. It's like the placenta graveyard. Yeah. Whoa. So you missed your chance when you were there, Alicia, to go see know, the really placenta did. graveyard. Also in Indonesia and in Java, the placenta is decorated with flowers and lights and then set afloat to a river at night so that a crocodile can eat it. In Noise. Jamaica, the placental membranes would be used to prevent child convulsions because they thought that those were caused by ghosts. In Peru, an ailing infant would suck on their preserved umbilical cord. And they also would give like ill adults the umbilical cord as well. But it has to be your own cord. It cannot be someone else's cord. You have to have your own umbilical what? cord still. What? So you've kept your umbilical cord. It's now dry and ratty. And then when you're sick, you're going to suck on it. Yes. But it's fascinating. It is fascinating for the fact that, like, you can save your cord blood these days. You know, like, they take cord blood. You can save it to be professionally stored. And those stem cells can be used later in a baby's life to treat, like, various conditions. So I just thought that was kind of interesting that there was, like, super, super direct tie to actual practice today. One of the hospitals I've done rotations yeah. at take cord blood from every single delivery. So I thought that was super interesting. Same. Um, more generally, there is just a common theme among many related, many cultures related to the Flinta. And actually, at the University of Nevada, they did a study of 179 cultures and how they handled the placenta. And they found 109 mm. cultures with specific customs or rituals concerning the placenta and its disposal. That's cool. I know, right? Wow. Super cool. So a common disposal method actually had to do with trees. Very yes, common. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yes. it's thought that the it's like commonly thought that the tree is the protector of the child. Like once you plant your placenta and you plant it, but like plant it, you bury it next to a tree. And that tree is the child's protector. And some cultures thought that if the tree ever fell ill and was dying, it would be like foreshadowing something bad happening in the child's life. Oh, oh, I don't like that. But oh, that's cool. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Some cultures also save the placenta and or the umbilical cord. And they use it as like a protective amulet or good luck charm for the child. 
Hmm. Yeah. So this, there is also the, there's also the idea that the placenta may be a relative and some cultures refer to it as mother, sibling, or even grandmother. So kind of the same idea as like Egypt where they hmm. thought it might have been a twin or a child's protector, what this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when their rituals done for the placenta, they are super involved. So there's like special liquids used, clean the placenta, then they place them in a special container, and then you have to bury it in a very specific place. Which today, if you do want to bury your placenta, there are like specific rules, legal rules for where you where you oh, can really? bury it because it's technically human remains. You can't just like bury human remains wherever. Oh, so you have to yeah, I don't know the rules and I'm not here to teach anyone about the burying placental rules. So you'd have to look it up. It's probably different state by state too in the US at least. Um, hmm. but just know that <laughs> you could be doing it illegally if you're not careful. Um, but Yikes. super important in this University of Nevada study of almost 200 cultures, there was not a single culture that eats their placenta. Not a single one. No one does it. Mm. There is evidence of traditional Chinese medicine maybe using dried placenta in remedies such as like having a chronic cough or liver problems or male impotence, like random things Mm. that they use someone else's placenta that they've like saved and stored over time. But it wasn't like this super common ingredient that they were like using placentas all the time. So there is no evidence Mm. of anyone eating placentas. (laughs) And why do I bring this up? Well, because today in modern times and in modern OBGYN, there are multiple placenta trends going on. And there are two we're going to talk about. And Alicia, you already mentioned them, but repeat them again. (laughs) Lotus births and eating your own placenta. Indeed. Indeed. So those are the two trends we're going to talk about now. And trend, yes, is literally the word I think is appropriate. They're very popular to talk about on TikTok. If you ever get on that side of TikTok, it's an interesting place. And be careful of misinformation is what I have to say about that. And so I'm here with information from OBGYN resources in terms of like the risks and everything you need to know about these two things, as well as like relevant studies in the last 10 years about these things. So everyone who's learning about these are Two trends are well-informed on what they actually mean. All right. So Alicia said she saw one, never have seen one, but I know they happen. I had a patient who wanted one, but we had to say no, which I'll explain why in a little bit. But a lotus birth is when the baby is born. So usually, usually when the baby is born, the umbilical cord is, of course, still attached to the baby and still attached to the placenta. When the baby is born, you have to cut that umbilical cord. If the baby is ill or needs to be evaluated by pediatrics ASAP, then the baby comes out, umbilical cords cut, given to Pete's because the baby needs to be evaluated immediately. This is like super early newborns, babies that need to be intubated, like really severe stuff. Usually though, mm-hmm. most hospitals have policies where you wait 30 seconds to one minute to cut the umbilical cord. Sometimes if you ask, especially in like providers are willing, you can wait until the cord like stops pulsating, which is a lot longer. And it's a type of lotus birth in a way. But 30 seconds to one minute is the recommendation. And according to the American College of OBGYNs, by doing this, delayed cord clamping is what's called. Benefits include improved circulation, better establishment of red blood cell volume, decreased need for blood transfusions, and lower incidence of necrotizing enterocolitis, which is super bad for baby, 
and intraventricular hemorrhage, which is also super bad for a baby. So there are 100% great benefits to declade cord clamping. But what's lotus birth? It's simply when you don't cut the cord. So baby is born, you don't cut cord, placenta is born. Baby and placenta are still attached outside of the womb now together. And then placenta stays on baby until it basically rots off and falls off. And this can take anywhere from three to 10 days is kind of like the average. So literally just a dying placenta on your baby. And where do people get this idea? Alicia, why do you think people thought of doing this? Or do you know? I feel like, I mean, I feel like it just took delayed cord clamping to the extreme. But I don't know exactly like what the real reason is. I'm curious. So there was this woman in the 70s who observed an ape who like didn't, who the who had a baby and then had a placenta and then didn't like cut the cord basically. And they just like left the, the baby ape connected to the placenta. And this woman was like genius. And then she and then what? she coined the term lotus birth and started the trend. Oh. Yeah. So it was just someone okay. observing it. Yeah. So are there benefits to this? Um, Scientifically? No. There has been no proven scientific benefits to lotus birth. But of course, like people do it for a reason. So what are those reasons? Common reasons is that the belief that lotus births increase blood and nourishment from placenta to baby. It decreases belly button injury. And it is a more gentle transition into the world. Or patients desire to like perform certain rituals to honor the placenta. So a little interesting. I will say that the blood increases blood and nourishments. Once the once the cord is stopped pulsating, the placenta is no longer giving baby anything of use. That's why um the one patient I saw who wanted a lotus birth, they offered her just waiting until the cord stopped. Um, pulsating and actually was up to five minutes before they cut the cord but that was like a very healthy mm-hmm. delivery very like low risk mom that they were able to do that on okay so after reviewing our history section you know a lot of cultures have like rituals around the placenta and different beliefs but none of them have been noted to leave the placenta attached to baby in these rituals so usually like to do these um rituals the placenta would be on its own so people asking for it to stay connected to baby is like a new thing. So just to note that. Mm. But what's what's the big deal? Why why do we care so much about placenta being attached and doing a lotus birth? Well, there's some pretty big risks, honestly, to a lotus birth. And they all revolve around the fact that a dying organ is attached to your newborn baby. Alicia, what are some mm-hmm. what are some issues with this, do you think? infection man yeah that's like literally the biggest one infection is so big you can have there's increased risk of infection sepsis which is like the worst infection can get as well as jaundice which is also already like a high risk for babies and even hepatitis apparently there's even been cases of literally endocarditis happening to newborns because of a lotus birth and endocarditis is an infection inside of your heart and it's very bad Like, it's very bad to get it as an adult, let alone a baby. So, super bad. Not great. There's also risk of postpartum hemorrhage for the mom. So, you're putting, like, the mom's life at risk in addition to the baby's. The bottom line is Mm. 
usually if something is dead and rotting inside your body, it, it is an emergency to get it removed because it can lead to infection so quickly. So that's really the bottom line with low risk right. But of course, how do you counsel patients on this as future providers? And how do you like consider it if you're someone who's like considering such a trend? So usually people are okay with doing it if OB and PEDS both agree to it and mom and baby are healthy enough and they can undergo a vaginal delivery. But if you have a C-section, if there's a postpartum hemorrhage, or if you have some type of infection going on during delivery, or your placental tissue really needs to be examined so that they can like make treatment goals and next steps based on that examination, or if the baby is super sick and needs to go to pediatrics immediately, those situations are all situations where a provider might say like, can, we cannot do a lotus birth in good conscience, mm-hmm. like whatsoever. So- is that why your patient? Yeah. Had a so my patient had cord? to go to C-section. So they were like, we cannot do a lotus oh. birth because, which I think is because you just bleed so much in general with C-section. Like you can't have the baby sitting there and the mom's bleeding out basically in the middle of C-section. I don't know. But not good. Also, if there's like a placental issue, such as placental accreta, which is when your placenta grows into your uterus farther than it's supposed to, like it's like super bad or placenta previa which is when the placenta is in front of your cervix and that causes a really big issue for delivery so those are two conditions that it's like serious no to lotus birth so that's all i have to say about lotus birth any thoughts alicia before we move on to eating your placenta no i think lotus births are really interesting and i think yeah they leave like there's just a lot of like counseling and like i feel like there's lots of things to learn to in that counseling like you as a provider there's like a lot of skill to be had when you're counseling yeah, for sure on it yeah it's very complicated and it comes up a lot now like i can talk about this later at the end but very interesting um and lastly we're going to talk about placentophagy which is eating your placenta nom mm-hmm. nom nom is what people are doing so the practice of eating your placenta there's a couple different preparations you can do to eat your placenta you can do steaming, dehydration, make it into a powder and then put it into a pill, or you can eat it raw, cooked, or blended. It is notable that there has been no instance of people eating their placentas in history, as I said before, until the 1970s, which is also when lotus births started. So that's important. Mm. Um, but in 2006 is actually when, when this trend became really big. Because it's when people started encapsulating the placenta into little pills. So then it became more trendy because it's like a little more acceptable in that way, if that makes sense. Also part of the practice is some people feed the placenta to the baby. Like their newborn baby. Yeah. So what are the perceived benefits of eating your placenta? Um, People think it increases your milk supply. It improves your energy. And it helps with postpartum depression. But there are no human studies to prove these benefits. Studies do show that processed placenta that has been steamed and dehydrated still has high levels of estrogen and progestins that are bioactive still, meaning they they can still be active in your body if you eat the placenta. And that's very dangerous for one, Mm. babies or children if you feed it to your children, because children should not be having those hormones before puberty. It can cause precocious puberty, which is when children hit puberty too early, which is not good for them. 
Oh, shoot. I did not even think about that. Also, bad for a mom to have high levels of estrogen immediately in the postpartum period because you already get high risk for blood clots. Yeah, Yeah. clot risk. And so you can't even take oral birth control pills in the postpartum period because of the super high risk. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about this. it's so interesting. The super high risk of blood clots. So if you're taking these placental pills that could still have really high hormones, then that could be super dangerous for you in terms of blood clots, which are things like that cause pulmonary embolisms and strokes and all those scary things you see in all of the doctor medical TV shows. Bad, bad, bad. Um, also, the placenta contains many bacteria, like tons of bacteria in the placenta, whether it's healthy or like bad bacteria. It's in your placenta. And the placenta can also harbor disease because there's lots of different placental diseases in general. Well, there's a lot of diseases that go into your placenta. So hepatitis, HIV, things like that can go into your placenta. And then if you're eating it or if you're feeding it to someone else to eat, you can pass on those diseases. Super bad. There's one reported case of someone eating their placenta and it resulted in their baby getting GBS sepsis from like the placenta eating going around whether it have been oh shoot from the mom having gbs like in her system and then giving it to baby by like kissing i don't really know how it worked mm. but for everyone out there gbs your B strep very bad you are tested for it in pregnancy and treated for it in pregnancy because it's so dangerous to baby actually when i was on pediatrics long time ago i had a patient who we were seeing them at the tail end of the baby's GBS sepsis treatment. The baby had been in the hospital for three oh, months straight. Oh, my God. There's also no scientific or just like anecdotal research of eating a placenta helping with postpartum depression. It's actually shown that, you mm-hmm. know, support systems and other things we talk about in our um, peripartum psychiatry episode. Those types of things help with postpartum depression more than eating your placenta. And there also Mm. was a study that showed that placental pills in comparison with placebos had no like statistical difference in terms of mood and bonding with your baby. So that means that the placebo pills, which is usually a sugar pill, it's like taking your pill during your period that is just nothing that week. Um, And the placental pill had no difference, meaning the the placental pill doesn't do anything. Previous research from the 1900s, like early 1900s, like 30s, 50s, suggested that your placenta could somehow increase like milk supply. But in reality, if you're ingesting your placenta and it has all those hormones, that can actually suppress your milk supply. So you don't want that. It's not helping your milk. Yeah. Also, ingesting placenta pills has not been shown to increase iron status for things of like postpartum anemia there at the tiny tiny bit of iron from the blood in the placenta but it's not enough like in that just take your iron pills at that point and like i said right. all these studies mentioned have been done in the last 10 years so they're super recent and relevant um but what even made people like think of doing this alicia why do you think people eat why why did someone in the 1970s why was why was she like let's eat our placentas this i actually know it's because like animals sometimes like there's some animals that eat their placentas, like exactly. Sheep. Like they will just like birth their baby and then birth their placenta and then eat the placenta. Yep. Lots of animals eat their placentas. The only animals that do not 
are sea mammals, which kind of makes sense because like, how would you? Their placenta is just like gone. (laughs) (laughs) Taken away by the current. Also like camels, alpacas, llamas, that whatever form of mammal don't eat their placentas either. And neither do humans or traditionally humans do not. So the reason though that animals eat their placenta is because animal placenta is the one that eat them contain a hormone called placental opioid enhancing factor. Oh, yeah. fascinating. Super fascinating. So there's a natural opioid inside animals' placentas that reduce labor pains in the immediate postpartum period. So that's why they're eating their placenta is because it reduces the pain they're experiencing from labor. And this is only helpful for 45 minutes after labor. So 45 minutes later, when the placenta you know, is out mm. of the body, it's no longer a functioning organ. That's no longer attached to your body. The that hormone is no longer functional. That so that's why they eat it right away. So cool though. Love that. That is yeah. cool. For, for the for sheep. sheep. That that factor does not exist in humans. Like there was no placental opioid enhancing factor. No, we have Tylenol and ibuprofen. Yes. Um, but if someone does want to eat their placenta, they need to know all of these risks. And then if they still decide to do it, they should be recommended to professionals to have it professionally prepared to make sure that it is heated to a high enough temperature to kill any viruses or bacteria or anything that's in the placenta so that you're not causing yourself harm. Mm. Tidbits. But please do not eat your placenta and do not keep it attached to your baby. It does more harm than good. But if you're interested in your placenta, go ahead and ask your midwife or your doctor to give you a placenta tour after birth and show you how cool and amazing this organ is. It helps your baby grow all nine months from a little fetus into your little baby. And it's super cool. And throughout history, people have noted how amazing the placenta is, hence it being granted such utmost respect by the majority of cultures. And therefore, I think it warrants a discussion from us as well. I love that. Let's talk about the placenta. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts about the placenta other than how amazing it is? It is so fun. I love talking about the placenta. I love looking at placentas. They are very bloody, but yeah, they're cool. kind of weird and, and gross. They, at I first love giving look. They're yeah. so strange, but I love like giving tours of the mm-hmm. placenta. I always like make the joke to the parents that like I show them like the side that the baby is sitting in. And I kind of hold up the bag of like where the bag mm-hmm. of water was, like the membranes, and I was like. I go, this is the tree of life. And mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. like show them where all their like umbilical cord like attaches yeah. and they love that. And then I'm like, and then you have this size of a wound on the inside yeah. of your uterus, which is why for six weeks, you don't have to do anything. And then I, I love that. Some laughs. Yeah, I yeah. didn't mention how big the placenta is. It is like 20 centimeters, like diameter or something like that. It's oh ginormous. God. It's huge. It is literally gen- It's like a yeah. large dinner plate, like around it is. It is so big and like they can be, yeah, really jarring to look at. Some of them are tiny. Some of them are weird looking like placentas are just so diverse. And I'm like, yeah. oh, these are cool. But I really loved, yeah, the like biology part and like hearing about the history and the different like cultures, like the Egyptians and stuff. Clearly the placenta is very well regarded, mm-hmm. or at least that's what's been documented throughout history. And I feel like it's the only organ that people like see. <laughs> literally it's the only organ that like people see on the inside yeah. of your body 
that like was once on the inside of your body. That's like a crazy. I concept. mean, it's on that same like idea, like in Egypt, mummification was a time where they, they saw organs and they like gave so much respect to so many different organs in the body. But that's like, there's not other cultures. But I'm that, like, think about the number yeah, of but that, people. Like, it's not like everyone right. was mummifying and um, human dissection was taboo for most of history. So it's not like people saw organs from humans ever. I never really thought about that. But I'm just like, yeah, actually think about it. Like the number of people, like most people aren't doing human dissections, but like if you've had a baby, Mm -hmm. chances are you've seen your placenta or like someone in your family's seen your placenta. Or like if there's someone in the birthing room, they saw your placenta. Like they saw this part, this thing that was like inside your body. That's crazy. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. It is so weird. It is a weird looking organ and it's no, super cool. Love it. It's great. Yeah, I think it's super cool too. Um, I like the like anthropology stuff and all different like cultures that go into it. But also the trends are interesting to mm-hmm. talk about because like I said, they're they are super trendy and that they are all over TikTok and why there's health benefits for them and this or that. I think it's important to get down to the actual facts of what is going on so that you're not hurting yourself or your baby. So on that same topic, how should we as like future providers approach having conversations with patients about health trends? And like, what is some advice I guess we can give listeners if you're not in healthcare, just what to do if they're interested in health trends? Something I was thinking about is like two, like a twofold approach. One, I am curious and maybe I will do like a deep delve on TikTok into what these folks are saying, because I think it's like helpful to hear the other side. And I will be very candid. I'm like, definitely, I have a side. Like I, I am against these Mm -hmm. trends, Um, especially after like hearing the facts. Like, yes, if you have that desire, I will like, you know, ultimately it's your choice. But I think like, I am not in favor of either of these. And I think I would be, I think we as providers would be remiss if we like, said that we supported any of these or like allowed them and didn't give like adequate information about why they're not Mm -hmm. recommended um I think that would do more harm than good but I think the other thing is so yeah like finding out more about like why people do the trends and like what they believe and then also like I think it's kind of important sometimes to not necessarily tout all of this like research and scientific background because like I think that can sometimes alienate Mm -hmm. people because typically if you are trying to do a trend it's like not usually Mm evidence-based which is fine there's like so many things that are anecdotal that we learn that like have never been tested cannot be tested in a research context and so it's fine to be like, oh, in my experience, or like, I know this person, and this is why I believe this, and this is why I want to do this. So I think like, in that same realm, it's kind of important to not necessarily tout all this research about like, why we shouldn't shouldn't do things. But instead, like using like logic and like, kind of reason Mm -hmm. to be like, let's think this through, like, the reason that, like, what is your knowledge of kind of why we why this like idea of eating your placenta has come mm-hmm. about and like blah 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 and then being like well like for context um the reason that this even happens is like humans are not typically the ones who are like eating their placentas but we've seen that some animals do 
And actually, it's like really helpful yeah. to hear these facts about like why these other species are doing these things with mm-hmm. their placentas, because then it like puts a really clear understanding of like why humans yeah. are not like sheep are eating their placentas because it gives them this like opioid mm-hmm. dose. And it's basically like taking a little dose of morphine that can help with like, yeah, labor pains. We can give you these humans, actual meds. Yeah. We can give you Tylenol and yeah. ibuprofen. And there's like very limited reason. Similar for like leaving the, like a lotus birth. It's like, if you think about it, like how is the blood and all the nutrients on the placenta going to get to your baby if the cord isn't pumping blood mm-hmm. anymore? And so actually like the same benefits that you would get from delayed cord clamping are what you'd get from having exactly. a lotus birth. And I feel like maybe there's like options of talking through things in a logical way that might be more effective than using science and yeah, research. Yeah, for sure. Especially if scientific terms are very like non-colloquial terms, it's hard to understand. And then like you said, you alienate whoever you're talking to, if they're not on the same page and they don't have the same right. knowledge base as you, like, I agree with that. I also think um, just when talking to patients, it's you, like you mentioning the tree thing, how you had a patient who wanted to bury her placenta. And at first that seems like, oh my God. So when I was reading about starting the research for this episode, there was this article that popped kept popping up that a lot of women in Australia actually are really interested in taking their placentas home and burying them. And it's becoming this like big thing in Australia. And at first when I was reading it, I was like, that's weird. Honestly, it was my first thought. And then the more I learned about all these different cultures and that it's actually like super common to bury your placenta, I was like, wow, okay. Now I actually kind of think it's cool that you're returning the placenta to the earth. And it's like a ceremonial thing. And like in Australia, children get to go and see the tree where their placenta is like buried and it's like a connection they have to the earth and it just says a lot about like how much learning about history teaches us about like how to interact with others today so on that same line like how does episode help you Alicia I guess with your own cultural competency and just we can talk a little bit about why this podcast is great for that reason basically (laughs) yeah (laughs) well we love our podcast but I also think even just as the podcast episode was unfolding, I was thinking about my own biases that I was bringing to this Mm -hmm. topic. And I think I generally tend to be a pretty non-judgmental person when it comes to people's medical choices and health choices. Like I usually am just like, oh yeah, like it is up to you. And like, I will give my recommendation, but like, honest to God, it is Mm -hmm. up to you in the end. And I can't make you do something you don't want to do, but even in this episode, I caught myself like leaning towards making comments or like even my tone of voice was kind of like, oh my gosh, like why would they do that? Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And I had to rein it in because I think it's a good reminder that like people do things differently. Obviously, that is like an, a clear, obvious statement. But when you're hearing about it or hearing different cultures, practices, some of them may seem different or strange or foreign to you. And it's like important to just like remind yourself that. Everyone is different. They have their own beliefs. Their beliefs aren't wrong, but just skewed from yours. Yeah. And so good reminder, good, healthy reminder. Yeah, I think especially like in the US on the term, I just on the topic of the placenta, like there are no, other than these like new upcoming trends, there are no like cultural beliefs around the placenta that's like normalized in American society. Right. 
So learning that this study was done and there was actually another study too, I didn't mention that kind of had like the same concept that they studied around 200 cultures to look at like their people and the placenta. And both studies came back with over a hundred different cultures having like rituals and beliefs and ceremonies about the placenta. And I was like Mm. shocked by it. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that because the U.S. like, I don't know, we might give a placenta tour after birth. And that's like the extent of like a normalized situation. Our interaction with the placenta. Otherwise it just goes in the little container and they send it off either for like proper disposal or to pathology to look at. And that's kind of it. Um, And so it was really cool to see how many people across the world actually have like a deeper connection with the placenta. And I don't know, I just was like shocked by it. And it made me like take a step back and like think about this a little step outside of my own space for a hot sec and think about it. Um, I mean, that's like one of my favorite things about history is that you learn history and then you learn more about the world around you today. So if you want to continue learning about history and different things that apply to women and how that might change your perspective on women today as a provider, as just a woman or just a person, whoever you are listening, then subscribe to our podcast on whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Doesn't matter to us as long as you're listening and leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts and Spotify are great places to do that. Yes. And while you're at it, you can follow us on social media and you can check out our website for our information, show notes, sources, merch, and more, especially for this episode that had a lot of really great scientific, like well-studied. There's a lot of sources on this one. Let me tell you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of sources, but y'all can fact check us. And yeah. that's, you can go to from scrubs.com to get that information. And of course, Lastly, here's to the women and the placentas who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yeah. See you next time. See everybody next time.